Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. It's good to actually be here. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, And I have thoroughly enjoyed being back and being amongst you. It's uh, been uh, such a joy, such a joy uh, to be part of this community again. And uh, I do want to thank you. I want to thank you for all your support and all your love. Uh, Your support is greatly appreciated, but we also feel greatly loved by you all. And uh, that that keeps us going a lot of the times. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Wally asked me to to speak in this series of uh, Jesus being the game changer. And he asked me to speak on the topic of faith on the field. And I kind of, my first reaction was, well... I don't know whether I've got much to say. Um, I don't know whether I've got it right. But then I thought, I've got a lot to say. <laughs> um, and then I, so I thought, I'd better narrow down what I say and be guided by God's word. And so I wanted to use this morning, walk you through uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, starting from verse 12, uh, verse 11. So 2 Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. And we're just going to use this to walk through uh, what it means to be living out your faith on the field. Okay? But before we get to that, and keep your, your finger on your Bible or on your phone, whatever it may be, but keep it there because we're going to get to that. But I wanted to just firstly paint you a picture or give you some aspects of my field. Okay, the field that we work in, that we find ourselves in. Uh, can we just go to the next slide? So, ooh, it's a bit dark here, but um, we have this map of Thailand. This is where we serve. We serve in Thailand. And so here's a map. It's not your usual map of Thailand. It is marked in green and red. Uh, hopefully you can sort of see that. It's kind of vague. It's Thailand's kind of disappearing. Um, there you go. So, the green areas are areas in which there is a church present. Okay, so that is where there are a known Christian gathering of people in those areas that are marked green. Those that are marked red is where there is no Christian presence. There is no church. It's predominantly red. Okay? So there's vast land, there's vast spaces within Thailand that is just absolutely no Christians. And we live, if we go to the next slide, in this area, this is a state of Thailand called Isan. It's in the northeast of Thailand. It borders on Cambodia and Laos. And it is predominantly red. Okay, and we have teams scattered throughout this area. And if we go to the next slide... This, is, this little dot is where I live or where my family lives. Okay? And in, in the district around us, there's about eight other little districts around us, there are about 400,000 people. And within those 400,000, there are about 50 Christians. 50 people who know Jesus and who believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. And there are three churches. 
I can drive for an hour and not come across any church whatsoever. Vast areas that have no Christian presence, no Christian gathering, either like this or online or even in a home. No small groups. And that's not because they can't, it's because they don't know Jesus. So that's one way in which you could look at my field. You can just very much look at it from a numbers, stats, map sort of point of view. If we go to the next slide, you can also look at my field in terms of the kind of functions or tasks that you have to perform or you think you have to perform on the field. And we divide up that field into four, four areas. Okay? The first area is obvious. It is, if we go to the next slide, it is evangelise. It's throwing seeds out there. It's growing relationships in order to proclaim the gospel. Okay? So we're sharing as much of Jesus as we can. If we go to the next slide, then we, we, we find someone who's interested in Christ. We've grown enough of a relationship with them to know that they're interested in Christ. Then we're teaching them about Jesus. We're teaching them how to live their life for Jesus. Okay. Then we go to the next slide. We then want to gather these Christians together. We build enough relationships with enough people who are interested enough about Jesus that we gather them together like this so that they can worship God, praise him together and encourage one another to keep going. Okay. Then we have this next step, which we haven't ever gotten to yet. Okay, I have to be honest. We haven't done this yet. Where we want to send people out into their own field. Right? We want to send these believers who we've evangelised, discipled and gathered into their own field and do exactly the same thing. So they go out, evangelise, disciple and gather and send. Okay, so that's another way in which you can look at our field in terms of the functions that we like to do. If we go to the next slide, you could also just look at it from a very people perspective. Because from the stats and the functions, it's not very personal, right? But it gets very, very personal. Behind each of these stats is an actual person. So here you see uh, some group gatherings in the villages. And this lady here, this is Auntie Kiel. She's a diabetic. She has troubles with her legs and her feet. She can't walk. She gets around the village on a push bike. She actually gets around on Clarissa's little push bike. Uh, we, we gave her this push bike so she can get around. So she rides around in this little tiny little pink push bike, if you can imagine this large lady doing that. And she, she, her current job, her, her current form of income is she looks after a disabled person within the village. And we get to sit and we get to talk to her about Jesus and we talk to her about life in this group setting. If we go to the next slide. We also do house-to-house visitations. Right? We, we just go house-to-house and we visit and talk to people. It's, it's fairly simple. And we get to speak to 
some very elderly people, some disabled people. In this bottom picture, you see a picture of an old lady. She's in her 80s. She's deaf. She, she, she can't hear. And that man lying on the ground, I'm sorry, that's so dark. That man lying on the ground, that's her son, Ning. Ning is paralysed. Ning has a, has a, a brain damage. So he, he, he can't speak so well. Even, even when he can speak well, he's got a, uh, a trachomedy, a, trachom, uh, you know, a hole in his throat, right? He, so he has difficulty in speaking. And, and when I visit him, I walk away thinking, God, how can you allow, how can this lady who is deaf and this man who can't hear, how can they look after one another? And not only that, how can they hear and understand God's word? But praise God, they have. She now reads the Bible to him. <laughs> it's incredible. It's Grandma Lau and Ning. Next slide, please. These are some of the kids that we reach out to. We have a Saturday morning ministry that reaches out to these kids and these teenagers. And when we visit them in the homes, there's no doubt there's kids running around. And this girl is on top of Clarissa, the girl in green. Her name is Guitar. Guitar lives with her auntie. Her mother is no longer in her, in her life. She's decided to no longer be with the family, no longer look after her. So her auntie looks after her and together they look after their sick grandmother. She doesn't do well at school. But she has the most marvellous questions when we talk to her about a Bible story. When we talk to her about the story of Lazarus coming back today, she had these amazing questions. She's a beautiful girl. Next slide, please. Uh, we talk to religious leaders, uh, monks, and also political leaders. Uh, this man on the bottom, he is the village leader who has opened up so many doors uh, for us and continues to. He's, uh, his name is Appen, really Apple, but he can't say Apple, so he says Appen. So his name's Appen. And we have such great spiritual conversation. He's a devout Buddhist. But he asked so many deep questions about life and about faith. So these are the people. You can look at it from a very people perspective. And that's, to me, that's kind of my favourite, right? So if we go to the next slide, this is, the question is, is, is how do we live our faith out on this field? How do we live our faith out on this field? Well, I want us to take us through, if we go back to our Bibles, 2 Thessalonians, if we go to the next slide, we'll put it up on the screen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, and I'll read this out, and as you read it with me, with this in mind, so uh, let me put this in some context. Paul is writing a letter to a church in Thessalonia, and... He's just been telling them, he's just been thanking them for their growing faith, their growing love, in spite of some hard times, some, some persecution and trials that they've been having. He's been thanking them for hanging on and growing their faith in that 
situation. And with that in mind, he then says, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and by, that, by his power may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful prayer. Paul begins this prayer, if we go to the next slide, by saying he constantly prays for these people, these believers. These people who are already growing in faith and growing in love through hard times. He constantly prays for them. Faith on the field, it's one where each day is marked with prayer. It's marked with prayer for one reason, for several reasons. One reason is we're so out of our depth. When I think about reaching out to one village, I'm so out of my depth, let alone trying to reach out to 232 villages. I'm so out of my depth. When I'm trying to figure out how do I communicate the gospel, when I try, how do I communicate grace, in a, in a way that is culturally appropriate, in a way that is understandable, in a way that is convicting. I'm so out of my depth. It, it, and not just in Thai, but these people also speak another dialect. I'm out of my depth. When, when a Thai pastor comes to me and asks for my help because a child has, has drunk a potion that has been given to him by a monk and now this child is being attacked by evil spirits, I'm out of my depth. <laughs> Nothing in Bible ceremony, in seminary prepared me for that. Nothing in my time here in RBC prepared me for that. I'm out of my depth. When I think of the different missionaries that are scattered throughout Isan, that I'm responsible for guiding and caring for, and I, and I, and I hear them and they call me and they email me and they have issues and they have conflict, I'm out of my depth. So I'm out of my depth, but I know, I know God is powerful. I know God is in total control. I know Jesus has total authority over all things. So I pray. And not only is Jesus in total control, he cares. Isn't that amazing? That not only is God totally powerful and awesome, but he cares for you and me. 
He cares for every single village. He cares for every single person to understand and accept and worship him. He cares for a little guitar. He cares for every child that is held in bondage by evil spirits. He cares. And he cares for each of those missionaries that are out there. He cares for them more than I do. So we pray. That is the God we pray to. On the field, our faith is played out through prayer. We pray because the vision that God's given to us far exceeds my own capabilities. I pray because God's power and God's love is far more powerful and exceeds the challenges that I see. Faith on the field is lived out in a posture of prayer, on your knees, daily, constant prayer. And what is... What does Paul pray for? If we go to the next slide, what does he pray for? He prays that our God may make you worthy of his calling. Wow. Of all the things to pray for, this is what Paul prays for, that we may be called worthy. Now, when Paul talks about our calling, he's not talking about a specific job or task that he may or may not give an individual believer. He's not saying, oh, Dennis, you've been called to being a missionary. Oh, and Pastor Wally, you've been called as the, the senior pastor in, at Roville. No, he's talking about, remember he's talking to an entire church, right, to people like you and I, and he's saying, make you worthy of his calling. He's saying, the calling he's talking about is the calling to be a Christian, to be saved by grace to be a follower of Jesus, to be called his son or his daughter. He's saying, Paul is saying, I pray that you would become worthy of being his child. Now don't get me wrong, salvation can't be earned. Salvation is not done uh, achieved by works given to you by God's grace. But Paul here says, now live out your Christian life. Live out your faith and and make it worthwhile being a Christian, being a child of God. May you be worthy of your calling. See, on the field... I can get pretty focused on what I need to do on the field, the tasks. I can get really focused on that and I can forget that God wants to work on me. While I work on the field, God is working on me. God is asking me to grow worthy. God wants to take and prune some things out of my life. 
God wants me to grow and mature in areas of my life. And Paul brings the focus back on that. He says, I want you to grow into maturity. I want you to grow into the fullest that you were intended to be. To grow worthy of being called his child. Paul goes on to say, and by his power may he bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. Now here Paul says a couple of really important things. Firstly, he assumes that our desires and our planned deeds have been transformed by Christ. Did you see that? He says, can we go to the next slide? It says, may your every desire for goodness and your every deed be prompted by faith. In other words, he assumes that our faith in Jesus has transformed our desires, has changed what we want. He assumes that. He says it's prompted by your faith. It's already done. He assumes that the gospel of Jesus has changed you so much that it changes what you plan to do, the deeds that you want to carry out. We've been in this series, Jesus the Game Changer. Has Jesus changed your desires and your planned deeds? I want you to think for a moment about your week ahead. The things that you desire, the things that you want to get done, the things that you need to get done, the things that are on your to-do list, I want you to think about those for a moment and park them to the side because I'll get back to those in a minute. Just put them to the side and we'll get back to it. And now, assuming that Jesus has in fact transformed your, your deeds and your desires, Paul now goes on to say, He wants God to bring them to fruition. If we go to the next next slide. Uh, Next one, sorry. That his power may bring to fruition these desires and these deeds that you plan. Paul now says, now God, make it happen. Bring, Bring these desires and these deeds that you have transformed in me to fruition, to to accomplishment, to fulfilment. He asked God, can you make them come true? And see, this is the most this is the second important thing that Paul's trying to say here. He's saying that unless God acts on our transformed thoughts and desires, unless God is in it, it will come to nothing. It'll all be in vain. Unless he is in it, it will be in vain. Our desires will remain unsatisfied. 
our actions, they'll be just frantic activity. If God is not in it, there will be no fruit. The psalmist many years ago got it spot on when he says, unless God builds the house, the labourers build in vain. I even heard that through your mask. Fantastic. Unless God builds the house, the labourers build in vain. Many times on the field, it's so, so tempting to just go and build and build and build. Unless I stop and I ask God, God, transform my thoughts, transform my desires, and now accomplish those. And then Paul continues in his prayer and he says this, if we go to the next slide. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified. In this series, Jesus the Game Changer, what, what is the game? If Jesus has changed the game, what is the game? In other words, what's your goal? What's your purpose? What's your intent in life? And has Jesus, your faith in Jesus, impacted the way you live and what you desire out of life? Has Jesus indeed been the game changer? When you examine your past week or when you look forward to the next week, do you have a goal? Do your activities lead up to achieving that goal? Or maybe I'll I'll flip it around and I ask you, if I were to say to you, okay, get your to-do list for next week, and hand it over to the next person, to the person to the left of you, if they read that to-do list, will they be able to figure out what your goal is in life? What would they say your goal is in life if they read your to-do list? For me, in my life, my, my goal has changed through time. You know, my goal has changed to just have fun. Just enjoy life. To, I want to be successful. I want to succeed in life. And then it moved to, I just want to get through the week. (laughs) I just need to get through the week, oh God. You ever have those moments? That being a goal? But it wasn't until my time in Bible college, and I'm not saying this is the only, you can only discover this in Bible college, just for me, I was slow and I was uh, silly and stupid not to notice this beforehand. But it wasn't until I, I went to Bible college that I discovered 
the most audacious, the most ambitious, the most satisfying goal of all. And this is what Paul shares with us here today. He says the goal is to glorify Jesus. To glorify Jesus. What a goal. This goal to glorify Jesus, what does this mean? Your mind should be going crazy right now in terms of what does it mean to glorify Jesus? It it means to do all that I can to honour him, to give him all the honour that he deserves. He already deserves it. I, I just need to give it to him. It means to do all that I can in order to give Jesus all the praise. All the praise. All the praise that he deserves. Wow. What a goal. And on the field, it's so tempting. It's, it, it, this is my plate on the field. People put a whole bunch of stuff on my plate. Okay? Um, I'm putting it nicely. They're, they're dumping things on my plate. And then I, I'm silly enough, I'm, I'm stupid enough to go, I'm going to put some more stuff on my own plate. You know? And in amongst all that stuff on my plate, I quickly lose the notion, the idea, the, the intent. What am I doing? What am I doing? And this prayer brings me back to the absolute core. I'm there to glorify God. Filter this plate out. Take off the plate everything that does not glorify God. This is my filter to decide what I do and how I do it. On the field, this is the goal. This is the game. This is the main game. It is the only game to glorify God. You know, aside from um, the different things that get put on my plate, there are challenges out on the field. The challenges come in waves. They, They just you, you overcome one and another one hits you and another one hits you and another one hits you. And, and some of these challenges are severe and serious, like, like health. And others are, are really quite trivial challenges, like the heat. Like, oh, it's another, the 30th day in a row where it's 38 degrees. That'd be beautiful if we were on a beach. Isan is nowhere near the beach. And you know, on those really hot days, the last thing I want to do is go and talk to someone in a village under a tin roof. It's the last thing I want to do. And when you get hit by all these challenges, it's very easy to, to ask yourself the question, why? Why are you here, Dennis? Why, why do you do this? Go back home. 
So you need a goal. You need a goal big enough and secure enough and God-given so that you can overcome these challenges. You can keep going. And that could take away the distractions of all the different things that get put on your plate. So faith on the field is about being focused on this goal, glorifying God. And an amazing thing happens when you glorify God, when your focus is, I'm going to glorify God. And this is what Paul says. If we go to the next slide, he says, we pray this in order that your, so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Now, Paul could have just left this part out, but he doesn't. Right? He wants you to know that as you glorify and you set your focus in glorifying him, you're going to be glorified. Isn't that incredible? As you remain in Jesus, as you submit your will to Jesus, as you focus on glorifying him, as you change day by day to be more and more Christ-like, you share in his glory. Wow. And Paul, he makes a point of this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'll read this out for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul says it like this. He says, And we all, okay, all of us, all of us believers, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Wow! For those who contemplate the Lord's glory as we set our sights on his glorification, as we focus on our goal being, I'm going to glorify you, God. We get transformed into his image. He works on us and we become in ever-increasing glory in him. Amen to that? amazing. And Paul now ends his prayer. And like this, if we go to that next slide, he says, and we pray all of this according to the grace of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. If our God were not gracious, if Jesus was not full of grace, then none of this would be possible. You know, on, on the field, it's tempting to actually think, I've just got to try harder. I've just got to learn more of the language. I've just got to make better use of my time. I've just got to work longer hours. You know, it's just something I have to do in order to, to get fruit from the field. It's also tempting to think 
and I'll, and I'll be honest out here now, it's also tempting to think, God, you owe me. God, do you know what I've sacrificed to do this stuff? God, do you know what hardships I've gone through? You owe me to, for me to see fruit from this. Paul here reminds us, it's got nothing to do with how much you work, how much effort you put in. And, and he doesn't owe you. You don't earn these things to be answered for you. It's all by God's grace. It's, it's all by God's grace that I actually get to work on that field. It, it's a, such an honour and privilege for me to work on that field. It's by His grace that we persevere through spiritual battles after spiritual battles after spiritual battles. It's by His grace that you endure great loss. By his grace, that those people in Isan will come to know Jesus. It's not by me working harder. It's not because God owes me. It's because of God's grace. It's all because of God's grace. So if we go to the next slide. So this is my field. And reality is, as I was thinking about this, that's not really important. The important question is, what about your field? What about your field? Remember I told you to, to think about what your week's going to look like. You know, what the things that you've got on your plate, the things that you've got to do. I think about those. I think about the the social settings that you're going to be put in. The people at work, whether it's physically being there or being online. If you go to school, your settings in school and university. When you go to the shops, you know, we all still need to shop, right? So think about the shops and the places that you go to buy things. Think about your neighbourhood, where you live. Think about your family. Think about the things that you will do in those social settings. Think about the people that you will interact with. Now think of them by name. Don't, don't just go, oh yeah, there's people at work. No, name them. When you think of your family name members, name them. That's your field. That's where the game's to be played out. The question is, what's your goal in that field? 
which are gold. When you think about the list of things that you want to get done this week, do they help you achieve a particular goal? Now, now I know, I, I know that there's things that you need to get done. I know that you don't have the luxury of being a missionary. You have a job. You, you have family. You have appointments that need to be kept. You have commitments. I know that. But more importantly than I know it, God knows it. God knows it because it's given to you by God. See the field that you've just sort of pictured and imagined? That's a God-given field. It's not one that you've made up. It's one that God has given to you. That's your field, given to you by God. The question remains... Do you have a God-given goal on that field? Let me get a little specific. I don't want to leave things vague, right? With your neighbours, does your faith in Jesus Has your faith in Jesus transformed what you desire and what you will do with them? Has he transformed your deeds and your desires? As you think about what you will do with your neighbours this week, has Jesus, your faith in Jesus had any impact at all? If Jesus has given you joy, has Jesus given you peace, patience, or any of the other fruits of the Spirit, how are you going to share and put that on display with a neighbour, with the people that are around you? And if you're trying to figure out right now, who is my neighbour? I recommend you read the story of the Good Samaritan. Excellent reading. If your question right now is, who is my neighbour? And you're trying to limit my neighbours, you know. Have a good read. Luke 10, chapter 25. Luke 10, chapter 10, verse 25. And forgive me now for for maybe getting a little personal. But I want you to think about your family. We all have family. This week, will you desire something for them that Jesus has done already in you? You've experienced some love and some power from God and some growth in God and 
not some, but entire salvation from God, will you desire that for your family? Let me give you an example of how that plays out a little. Will you pray for your children or your grandchildren to have faith, love and hope in Jesus? More than praying for your children or your grandchildren to get good grades, a good job, a nice house. I remember uh, when I started coming to RBC, I was deeply impacted by some women, some mothers, who taught me how to pray for my children. They prayed primarily that their children would become men and women of God. Now that is a prayer prompted by faith. May God transform our desires and our plans this week. And I want you to think about, okay, what is it that you're going to do this week? And if you've got pen and paper, write it down. If you've got your phone, put it down. Commit to it. Commit to this, okay, I I want Jesus to have an impact on what I do this week with my neighbours, with my family. Write it down. And if you have the courage, go ahead and share it with someone. And then ask them, can you ask me next week how I did with that? Because if if what we're doing here is, is not looking for being transformed by Jesus and making an impact on our lives, then let's just go home. Let's be daring and ask, okay, can you hold me accountable? And not so that they can go, oh, well, you didn't do that. No, so that they can pray for you, so they can encourage you. Okay, let's go this week. Go for it. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your deeds that your desires that are prompted by faith that God will bring it through. And can you imagine, I'm sorry I'm going long here, can you, can you imagine what it would be like if the church prayed for this? That every single person prayed for this this week. Can you imagine the change and the transformation that God would do? I can't. But man, that's exciting. If we all came back next week and we were in a buzz about what God did when when he took our transformed desires and deeds and all for the glory of God and we go, this is how God was glorified this week. Hallelujah. I I wonder how it would impact Roeville. I wonder how it would impact where you work, where you live. I wonder how, what God would do on your field. And, and if all of this is so daunting, and well, some of it is daunting and scary, I get it. I, I'm pretty scared too when I say these things. But we have to remind ourselves, just as, 
Paul reminds us here, it's all by grace. It's all by grace. Stay on your knees and pray. By grace you have been given this field. And by grace you have been given all that you need to glorify God on that field. You don't need anything else. God has provided everything. By grace, you are called his child. Nothing can take that away. Nothing. This is not about trying to achieve something. You are already his child. Now live up to it. Be worthy of that calling. Walk head head up high, chest out. I am a child of God. Can I pray? Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to give you thanks, Lord, for for what Paul writes here to the Thessalonians. I want to thank you, dear God, for this wonderful prayer. A prayer that, for me anyway, puts my prayers to shame. So, Father, we, we, we desperately need you. We desperately need your power, your Holy Spirit, your grace, your love. Lord, may this week, may we dwell on, on how Jesus changes us, on how he has transformed us. And out of that, Lord, may, may you change our thoughts and our desires and our actions. May they all centre around glorifying you, giving you the utmost praise, giving you all the glory and honour that you deserve. Lord, would you put in our minds and in our hearts something that we're going to do this week that is going to be all for your glory, all for your honour. And may we go out and do that with your grace. May we go out expecting that you will bring it to fruition, that you will make it come true, all for your glory, all through your grace. In Jesus' name I pray.